started with our message, God in the Five Love Languages, we began to talk about mature love is complicated. And we can just sit with that statement for just a little while, right? Because childish love is all about us, all about the moment. That's childish love. Me, mine, what I want, and now. Very childish. However, mature love is complicated. Mature love involves other people. Mature love involves sacrifice. Mature love involves timing. Mature love can be, as Dr. Dobson would say, tough, right? Tough love. Um, Sometimes mature love is stern. Sometimes mature love takes a big, deep breath before it says what it has to say. Mature love. Mature love is others-focused. Mature love is trying to have someone's best interest in mind. Mature love looks for God's will for people's lives. I once had to tell a young person that was looking for direction, I asked for my advice, and I said, you know, give me a little time to think on that. Because I had something that I wanted for that young person, yet I felt if I gave advice at that moment, that my what I thought that young person should, should do and have was kind of, I wasn't sure about it. So I, I said, you know what, let me go pray for you. Because what I think you need right now might not be what you need. And so I left, I spent about a week in prayer for the person. I came back and sure enough, what I thought they needed was nowhere near what they needed. And it was more, I had to go discover God's will for them and help them get some advice and kind of give them encouragement to go in a direction that maybe I didn't think they should go at first. It's hard, isn't it? Mature love. Mature love is quite confusing sometimes and quite challenging. We started this last week because we looked at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which the majority of it is very common to people, and it's at just about every wedding that I've performed, and it's all over the place, and we just celebrated um, Valentine's Day, and so it was probably all over a lot of Valentine's things, and we looked at the end of this chapter, or not the end of it, but a certain section of this chapter that is maybe not quite so familiar. After that long familiar description of love, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 13 say this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now hope, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul was literally writing to the church in Corinth and say, hey, I have given up childish ways of thinking about what I just described to you. He described to them love, and then he says, I've given up childish ways of thinking about love. And I've come to realize, he said, that um, I don't know it all. And that was the first step to experiencing and exercising and living in mature love is understanding that I don't understand it all. And that right now, this side of heaven, I see like I'm looking in a foggy mirror. And that's a pretty adult position. That's a pretty mature position to say, you know, as I think about love, and as I think about how to love you, and I think about how to love people around me, I have to first realize that I don't know everything. And now from this position of not knowing everything, I can then begin to learn, and then begin to pray, and then begin to listen. And part of the things that we looked at last weekend as far as the five love languages is perhaps we don't know the people around us like we think we know. I don't know everything about you. I don't know everything about my spouse. In fact, after 31 years, I learned that though it's not her top one, 
I've learned that gift giving is a little more important to her than I had thought. And you might ask, how in the wide world can a guy be married to a woman for 31 years and not realize that? Well, your guess is as good as mine. I had her first one down pretty good, and so we'll do all right with that. But over this last week, I'm like, man, I've got to step my game up in this gift-giving kind of thing. So a mature position is to realize, you know, I don't know it all, and I see kind of things kind of foggy, and I always in need and always seeking clarification, always seeking to learn, always studying people that I'm in relationship with so that we can best love them because we don't have it all figured out and sometimes we're going to miss it and sometimes we're going to make mistakes and sometimes with our best effort to love people around us we're going to totally mess it up and we give each other grace and forgiveness so that's the first step in mature love and so we kind of dove into that a little bit and then we started thinking about God we started thinking about how do we receive love from God how does he hand out love What's God's love language as he gives to us? And we started looking at the, different five, the five different love languages, and we talked about already words of affirmation. We spoke about that one last week. We also talked about spending quality time with the Lord. We talked about that, that last week. But then we realized this week when we look at number three, when we look at that, that um, love language of giving gifts, and we think about, well, how did God give gifts? What, what, what did he do? Well, you know as good as I do that the most popular passage of Scripture to go to in regards to what God gave us is John 3, 16 and 17. Now, John 3, 16 may be very, very familiar to you, but maybe not 17. Because no one on the other side of the goalpost on a football game is putting up John 3, 17. They're all putting up John 3, 16. Amen? So what in the wide world is 16, 17? 17? Well, let's go to 16 first. Let's read the whole thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he would, um, would, that the world might, I can't even read today, what am I doing? But in order that the world might be saved through him. So the world was in need of saving we were in need of saving. This is going to make sense when we start talking about the position of humanity as God was, is loving humanity. When we get to the end of this, we're going to sew it up with kind of this big moment of understanding when God speaks. Now, most of this message this morning is how God speaks, but then the context forms the when, and that is going to make all the difference as we move through. We also learn from the Apostle James in verse 17 of chapter 1 of his epistle that he says every good gift, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, God's not shifting and changing like us. There are so many things changing in our world right now, right? You ever feel dizzy? You ever feel dizzy by the speed by which life changes? It can change in an instant. And I want to encourage you today that if you feel like life has changed for the negative really fast, like everything was going well for you and then all of a sudden things got really bad, the speed in which things got bad is the same speed by which they can get better. It's not a lost hope. Sometimes we think, man, things got bad so fast, so it's going to take forever for them to get better. Well, maybe not. Maybe you're just one decision away from things getting much, much better. Maybe you're one moment away. Maybe you're one prayer away. Don't know. But we do know that if every good gift comes from God and He isn't changing, 
then he's really the only thing that we can trust right now, right? And trust is a big, big issue right now. And we have a hard time trusting things that change constantly, right? And things are always changing. And you know, one thing that I wish we would have been told two years ago is that we don't know. Because as the whole pandemic turning endemic or wherever we are with this stuff, I think we would have all been better off two years ago if those that are leading us would have come out and said, I, I don't, we don't know. <laughs> this is new. We got to go do some research. We got to study. We got to figure this out. But leaders are so scared to say they don't know that they send everybody off into weird directions and say a bunch of things that they then have to retract. And you know our current culture. If someone comes to you and says one thing and then later they discover that they were wrong, now they're going to get blasted for not knowing what they're talking about. Now they're going to get called a flip-flopper and a liar and all this stuff. It's better if we just come out and say, you know what, I don't know. We don't know. And as your pastor, sometimes I'm going to come to you and say, I don't know. Because it's better for us to say, I don't know, than to come out and say something, get you going off in a direction, and then come back and go, oh no, I was wrong. So it's okay to say, I don't know, because that's part of mature love. But we notice that things change, people change, circumstances change, and that makes us feel really unstable, and sometimes unloved. And so I want you to know today that God doesn't change, that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that he is a God that gives and gives generously. So God gives through the giving of his son. And God gives good gifts. And I want you to know that every bad thing that has happened in our life is somehow some twisting of something good that God has given. I invite you to do your own research with that. Take a problem that you're having right now. Any problem that you're having right now, sit down, think about it, think it through. Ask yourself when it became a problem. Look at the components of the problem. And I would almost guarantee you, and I want to guarantee you, but I don't know everything, so I'll almost guarantee you. That somehow every problem, every struggle that you're currently dealing with in life is somehow a twisting of something that was originally good. Right? Something that was originally good. Because God gives good. Satan twists what is good because Satan is not a creator by the way. <laughs> God is a good gift giver. Satan is a twister. Humanity twist. Humanity acts selfishly. Self, self, selfishly. But when you're looking at good in the world, I challenge you to look at the social ills of our problem today, and they're mostly all dealing with something that God has given us that is good, and then it got twisted, it got abused, it got misused and mishandled. And thus we have these problems. And I say all that because sometimes when we talk about God as a good gift giver, you immediately, because of our human instincts, right, we immediately go to what is not so good. And we say, well, I don't know where that came from. If God is all good and God is all kind and he gives all these good gifts and he never changes, well, why in the wide world did this come from then? And I know that the first person we want to blame for every problem that we experience in life is God, and we want to say, well, if God was so loving, why this, right? Yeah, I know. It's hard. It's hard. But I want to remind you today to kind of sift through that and to go back to something that was good and then look, oh, maybe man or Satan has twisted that. And surely, I believe you'll find the source of your problems. And it's from that starting point that you would begin then to work forward. So what about acts of service? 
Jeremiah 31, verses 1-6, through 6, read this way. At that time, declares the Lord, I, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel. Now, what is that at that time? Remember, they went into captivity in Babylon, and then God's talking about when I restore you. So when I pull you out of the junk, when I pull you out of the trouble, he says, at that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away, that's the nation of Israel, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, they're in captivity. Okay, and all, this, all these words might sound to them like, this is garbage, we're, we're stuck here in this mess, and God's talking about how much he loves us, and how much he's going to protect us, and how much he's going to deliver us, but right now we're in this mess. And then God goes on, he goes again, I will build you. And you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again you shall adorn yourselves with tambourines and shall go forth in dance and in merry, as merrymakers. Again you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when the watchman will call into the hill country of Ephraim, Arise and let's go up to Zion to the house of the Lord. I will, I will, I will. That means their current was not yet. That means their current was a mess. Their current situation was stressful and doubtful and all turned upside down. And God kept saying, win, win, win. Because he's going to serve his people. And that's when God shows up to serve you. And that's when you need God's service the most. And notice all these things that he said he will do for them. He said, I will, I will, I will, I will. And notice, they were in punishment, they were in captivity because of the evil that they had done. And then we also see in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So notice again, there's the timing. How God deals with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is indicative of how Jesus deals with his people in the New Testament. That's kind of why we have all these stories in the Old Testament. Will you ever read the Old Testament and go, why am I reading this? <laughs> because we want to learn about the character of God and how God operates with rebellious people. Because that's the story over and over and over and over again. If you want to know the big, big story of the Old Testament is how God worked in the world to... to um, to set the world in such a position where he would fulfill all his promises in bringing the Messiah. And in that work, you see God's character. And in that work, you see how God relates to a broken humanity. And then in the New Testament, we have God fulfilling his promises and working all things according to how he has established them in the old. And then God writes a new covenant through Jesus. And we call that the establishment of the kingdom of God through the church. And that's the New Testament. <laughs> So God gives to us through acts of service when we're in this state of mess and disaster. Now this is the one, this last one, physical touch. This is the one where you go, well, how in the wide world are you going to pull this off, Pastor? Really, you can, how does God do that? Now I know we sing the songs, you know, that old hymn, oh, he touched me, he, you know, he made me whole. I, we sing those songs and 
I know we talk like that, but a lot of times we use that as kind of a figure of speech, right? We use that as a, as, as a figure of speech a lot of times. Well, maybe there's something more literal to these figures of speech. Now, if you're with me and you're thinking to myself, how, would I, how in the wide world would God ever do this thing, physical touch, displaying his love to us, giving us a hug, a handshake, a pat on the back, all those kinds of things that we talk about. But then one thing dawns on you. And you go back and you start thinking, well, God doesn't have a physical body. And you would be right to believe that. Because that's what the Bible teaches. So when you look at that, and you think to yourself, well, I have a physical body, God doesn't. So how does he show acts of love through physical touch? Aha, let's read a few passages of Scripture, and I think they'll enlighten us all. Physical touch. Romans chapter 15, verse 5 says this, a hope does not, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. And I know that it starts to feel a little weird because you're a physical you and I'm a physical me. And our understanding of the world and our understanding of life is bound up and limited by us being physical. And God is not physical, so he's not bound up in all those things that you and I are bound up on. Neither is his understanding finite. Yours is finite, so is mine. There's a beginning to my understanding and there's an end to my understanding, but with God there isn't. So I have to realize that as I start thinking about this idea and this doctrine of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I have to realize that that's the way God connects with me today. That's the way God connects with you today. It's through filling you with His Spirit. And then the work goes from there. So when you think about this for a second, before it weirds you out, you start thinking, my goodness, I've been to places where they started thinking about being filled with the Spirit. And I know, those places get kind of scary, right? You walk in and they say, well, we're full of Spirit and everybody's running around and it's loud and it's crazy and it's all this. And, it, and then we start to equate this kind of idea with where everywhere they start talking about the fullness of the Spirit, things get a little crazy and I'm not comfortable with that. Now, I know some brothers and sisters that are comfortable with that and they live in that realm. That's awesome. Me, I, I don't know about that. Early on in my Christian experience as a teenager, I went to everything that said Jesus on it. And I walked into some places that I was like, oh, wow, this is scary. And they're running around and they're screaming and yelling and this, these noises coming out of their mouth. And man, at 16 years old, I'm like, see ya. I, I'm out. And I would go back to my church and tell my youth pastor, hey, I went to this thing just because it said Jesus on it. And I went in there and he goes, what'd you think? And I was like, whoa. And he goes, yeah, easy on going to some of that. He goes, some of it's okay and... Some of it's a little bit fanatical and hyper-emotionalism and cycle manipulation and all that kind of stuff, he said. But then there's some of it that's genuine. And, and at 16, I'm like, I, I can't tell. I can't tell. So my friends that live in the more charismatic expression of Christianity, they are kind of helping me. But to be honest with you, 30-something years into studying the Bible, I still get uncomfortable with that. And maybe that's just me. Maybe I have to grow up in some of that. I, I don't... I don't know, it's very hard for me. That's why I like things pretty chill. <laughs> okay, and some of my friends, they say, oh, you're just afraid of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they're right. I, I, don't, I don't know. Because in my natural humanity, I'm afraid of anything that doesn't fit in little boxes and make sense in logical sequential order and that I can reason out, and that's where I get comfortable. 
and all this other stuff. But when I start thinking about God filling me with his spirit is when some other things make sense. Look at verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, and you're not your own? Okay. See, now why that makes sense to me is because I can understand that I have a physical me and I have a spiritual me. To put it in different language, there's hardware and there's software. Right? <laughs> All right? So... Here I am, and I could do this, and I know, and you have hardware and software too, and you have conversations with yourself. You're like, ow, that hurts. The physical is like, hey, and my, your mental is like, but I could keep going. And you're just like, no. No, sooner or later, you're going to fall over because you just blew out your knee, and your brain thinks you can keep going, and you're like, no, I'm going to lay here right here. I'm going to quit right here. You, you have these conversations with yourself when it comes to these things. You also have conversations with yourself about other things, things that you know are good and bad for you. And part of you wants to go do that thing, and you know it's bad, but you want to go do it anyway. And the other parts of you, don't do that. that, that that's going to hurt you. But I want to, but don't, but yeah, but. And we put little cartoon angels and devils on our shoulders. Because we are spiritual beings. But God says, I fill your body with myself. And I'm like, okay, I can kind of get it because I've had conversations with myself, and I know in my body, and so that whole kind of spirit in the, in the body makes sense to me. And then I start thinking about different things God does and when God comes and gives you the ability to love people that you previously didn't have the ability to love, that's his spirit working in you. When you can forgive people that have hurt you, that's his spirit working in you. When you have the ability to learn things and to grasp things that you previously could not grasp, that's his spirit working in you. When you've been hurt, but now you're receiving healing, that's his spirit working in you. And some of those things are very quiet, and some of those things are very personal. And yet sometimes those things are experiential, right? And so God gives us in these ways. So the challenge then becomes, if God is giving us his love, what then is the challenge for us in, we, in our response? I believe then... 1 Corinthians 13, 13, there's the answer to how we are to respond to God's love. And I believe that we're to exercise faith and hope as we receive it. Now notice that for a second. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, now, So now faith, hope, and love abide. Okay, so right now in our current context right here, we have faith, we have hope, and we have love. Now, what is faith? Faith is the Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of th things unseen. It's the Greek word pistos, which means I've seen enough to trust. I haven't seen everything. Don't know everything because that's the mature position of love, right? He's already established that in the text in 1 Corinthians 13. If the mature position is I don't know everything, but I want to respond in love, then I'm going to respond in faith. And I'm going to respond to people's love as they love me. I don't know everything. They don't know everything. As God loves me, I don't fully grasp this but I'm going to respond with, I've seen enough to trust. And I know sometimes for some people, it's hard to get to that place where they've seen enough to trust because sometimes what you see makes you not trust. So the beginning prayer is, Lord, help me to see enough to trust. I know I'm not going to understand it all, but help me to see enough to trust. We do that with relationships all the time with each other, right? Just, Lord, help me to see enough to maybe go out on a date with the person and then we'll be cool. 
Well, Lord, help me to see enough to see me go on a second date with the person. All right, all right. And then this thing moves forward as faith and trust build. Progress ensues. And then trouble happens and there's some sort of conflict in the relationship. And you're like, I don't know about this. Well, have you seen enough to trust? What's been the past history? What's been your relationship? Have you progressed in this building intimacy and building trust so that when you do have a problem, you can encounter that problem with, I don't know, we've never encountered this before. But what I've seen in the person so far leads me to believe that we can go and step into this further, right? When Susan and I first became parents, we'd never parented children before. We've been married a year and a half. Ah, what are we going to do? <laughs> well, we could step into parenthood because through our dating years, we built trust. Through our first year and a half of marriage, we built trust. So let's, let's step into this and give each other some grace and do those things. So we're going to have to exercise faith in receiving and acting out in love. The second thing is we're also going to have to exercise some hope. Well, we don't know yet because it hasn't happened. But I hope, and so I'll move forward. Because obviously, if you're hoping to have lunch today, that means you haven't had it. After you have lunch, you will no longer hope for lunch. It'll, you would have had it. None of us are sitting here hoping the Rams would win the Super Bowl. It happened. We no longer have to hope. Well, there it is. And so as we move towards our future, if we're going to experience love that lasts forever, and by the way, of these three, the only ones we're going to experience in heaven is love. There'll be no more need for faith and there'll be no more need for hope. But right now we live in faith and hope and that's how we receive love is through those two things and that is risky. That's why mature love is risky, isn't it? Because we're still hoping <laughs> and we don't know everything and so we're moving through. Amen? So that becomes the challenge. And now there's one more piece to this that I, I added last minute so it's not going to be on the screen so the sermon is supposed to end right now and aren't you sad that i still have a few more minutes to share share with you today and i want to take you to a passage if you want to grab your bibles or your phones and look it up in there but luke chapter six as i was considering this message this week and uh i shared a little bit with the group on thursdays at pickleball i really thought i wanted to add this to this evening and give you another challenge. So the first challenge was exercise faith, hope, and love as you receive God's love. But this next one, I want you to do something that's very practical, maybe very hard, but it'll take a lot of faith and a lot of hope. And that is this, that you would love those who don't show you any love. Now hold on, pastor. <laughs> See, this, this is hard, right? Because notice the timing. All that I read to you about the timing of God's love and all of the five love languages as God expresses his love for us, the timing was we were a mess. Did you notice that? That every time those passages of scriptures I read to you, it was always God loved them when. The Old Testament passages, God loved them when they were all in captivity and doing bad and worshiping other idols and life was a mess and God was speaking love to them with the five love languages. You get to the New Testament, and God's love is expressed to us as what? Being in a state of rebellion, a state of sin. So God is always loving people before they do anything right. Before we deserve it at all. Before we've given anything. When we are total rebellion against God, totally turned away from Him, 
That's the context, and God begins to love. And so if that's the way God has loved us, then that becomes the challenge for us as Christians. Because if we're following Jesus, that means we're doing Jesus things, right? We're following him. And so if Jesus is going around loving people when they don't love him, then guess what we're going to do? Well, I don't know. I'm just following Jesus. Why do you love that person who keeps treating you like that? Well, I'm a Jesus follower, and I'm going to do my best. Now, my natural instinct that gives the guy a punch in the face. But we're going to refrain. We're going to admit that that's what I'd rather do. At some point, the disciples came to Jesus when Jesus was talking about his return, and he goes, is this when you're going to rain fire down from heaven and burn them all up? And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, no. Is this when I get to punch the guy in the mouth, kick him in the throat? Can I please? No, no, no. We're going to love him. But they don't deserve it. I know. You didn't either. But they're not even going to be grateful when we do. I know you weren't either. And so we get this out of Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. And he, for, and then he gives you the reason. For he, God, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Huh. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So think about this for a second. We're living in this world with, I mean, we're so divided, it's, it's, it's just scary, right? People are so evil, mean-spirited to one another, constantly putting each other down, constantly insulting one another, constantly. That's the atmosphere. Does that ever wear on you, just the constant ridicule, the constant blame, the constant negativity well that's the context in which god pours out his love so god's looking at our country and going look look at these people they're divided over everything and they're picking at each other making fun of each other lying falsely accusing ignoring their own faults blaming other people for doing the exact same thing that they do and as long as it's their person, they let it slide. When it's the other person's people, well, then we're going to attack them. And we got all this disaster going on. And God goes, oh, so this condition of America in 2022 looks exactly like the people of Israel in the Old Testament. They're just a disaster. And God says, well, then I guess it's time for me to kick them in the teeth. No. God says, well, I guess it's time for me to love them. Oh. I guess it's time for me to love them. And then so Jesus would turn to us and say, okay, guys, following me? You with me? All right, we're going to dive into this 2022, and we're going to go love some people that are going to be ungrateful, never return love at all, and they're going to actually hate us for this. But this is the approach. Let's go love them. But I don't know everything. I know, and that's a very mature position to take. But I can't see where this is. I know, but you're going to have to answer faith. You're going to have to apply faith and hope to this. So we don't know exactly how this is going to work out. 
but we're going to dive in and follow Jesus, and that becomes the challenge. So two things as I close this out. One, if you feel unlovable today, that's perfect because that's exactly when God is going to pour his love into your heart because that's what he's done his whole interaction with humanity. When they don't deserve it, he does it. So guess what? If you're saying, I don't deserve God's love, perfect, here it comes. And then if you're a follower of Jesus receiving God's love, then he's saying, come on, let's go. As I loved you, let's go love other people. Mm -hmm.